day. We looked at Joshua 7 last week, remember? And God was still God in Joshua 7, wasn't He? When it was tragic, humiliating, depressing, and, and confrontational. But He was still God, wasn't He? Remember Achan's sin? And Achan means what? Trouble? Good. Way to go. That's, that's a few of you knew that. That's, that's good. Okay. Achan means trouble. And he brought that onto the people in Joshua 7. But just as God was God in Joshua 7, He's also God in chapter 8. And it's in Joshua 8 that we find the Israelites making victory out of defeat. Amen? Now their tactic militarily was through what is known as an ambush. I was speaking with George King, who's a retired military man in our church. He's kind of my research go-to guy. He and his wife, they have access to more facts than you can even shake a stick at. They just can find information that you'd be surprised it even existed. I said, George, give me some information about ambushes. A couple of quotes he sent my way. A military strategist said this, when your attack is going really well... It's an ambush. And then he said, another military strategist said, a retreating enemy is probably falling back to regroup for the upcoming ambush. And sometimes when we hear about things going really well, it's probably just that, an ambush. And that's what happened in Joshua 8. The the army of Ai thought, hey, here we go again. We're chasing them down the slopes. We're going to slaughter some more men. What they didn't know this time in chapter 8 was that it was an ambush. And Israel had people in the back of the city that when the Ai army left, they came in, burned it, destroyed it, and sandwiched the army of Ai right between two divisions of the Israelites. In fact, let me show you this in Joshua 8 very briefly. And I promise you I'll keep my word to you this time. Look at Joshua chapter 8 because I'm not going to teach the entire chapter. I'm going to show you this chapter in an outline way. And then I'm going to show you really what is the backdrop for it. What makes the whole chapter come alive. Okay, But first of all, look, look at the chapter broken down for us to understand it. Joshua chapter 8. The beginning part talks about how Joshua stationed his men. He put 30,000 men right behind Ai. And they left at night, hiked about 15 miles, and they kind of stationed themselves in the dark, and they were going to wait till the next day. Then behind those 30,000, there was another 5,000 that I believe they were used to guard against the city just the other side of Ai. I think it was called Bethel. And I think their fear was that if the people of Ai sensed uh, an ambush is happening, and then their partners in Bethel realized that, maybe these folks would... A launch a counterattack, and then they would be like, "Oh, let's go help our brother." So they put five thousand to watch the city of Bethel, thirty thousand behind Ai, and then Joshua took some men. We don't know how many. And the next morning he came up, and he came up, to, up towards the city. Well, Ai was coming off a great victory, and the king of Ai saw Joshua and his men coming f- towards them. And instead of waiting, or instead of perhaps thinking they might be there for treaty terms or for like a peace initiative. They just left the city and they said, hey, we're going to meet him in the valley of battle and we're going to take him out again. And sure enough, that's how it looked on the surface. Bible records in about verses 16 and 17 that the Israelites lured the uh, Ai army out and they began to do the very same thing they did in chapter 7. They were chasing the Israelites down the slopes. Now recall in chapter 7, that's where they slaughtered 36 Israeli soldiers, Remember? So if you're a a soldier in the AI army, you're thinking, man, here we go again, act number two, we're going to take them out. 
But no sooner had they gotten maybe to a level place, they're about to attack this, what they thought was a retreating army, and perhaps a soldier says, Hey guys, do you smell something? Or maybe someone says, Hey look, look what's behind us in the, in the, on the horizon. Somewhere they begin to see, Oh my goodness, the city we just left, unguarded, in our overconfidence, we just left the city, thinking we'll kill them again. It was unguarded, and 35,000 men from behind it attacked it, captured it, besieged it, and set it on fire. And suddenly they realized, oh my, these guys aren't retreating, they're regrouping. And there's 35,000 behind us, and there's a host in front of us. And maybe in the creative imagination of my heart in this text, maybe someone said, "Um, I think we're toast. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Ai had no chance, and Joshua and those two divisions extinguished the army that was fighting them. Went back to Ai, up the slopes again, captured the city. 12,000, all in all, were slaughtered that day. The city was burned. The king was kind of, quote-unquote, hung out to dry. And you can kind of read the text to find out what that means exactly. And then they set up this big victory celebration in light of God's victory over Ai. They brought the children of Israel back to camp and there were two mountains there and they put half of the children in front of one mountain and half in front of the other and then apparently Joshua and the leaders stood kind of in between them. And what they did was, you'll read this in the last few verses of chapter 8, about verses 30 to 35. Joshua would read what's called the blessings and cursings. They're found in Deuteronomy 27 and 28. And they're a section of the law of Moses that says... If we do this, God will do this. And if we don't do this, God will do this. They're the conditional aspects of the law. They're called the blessings and cursings. And so it appears that from this uh, text, what happened was Joshua would chant part of it, and then half of the children of Israel would chant the other part, and then half of the tribes would chant the other part. Now can you imagine, after a great victory like that, hearing this antiphonal celebration, and the mountains in the background, and of course that created a, a wonderful sound effect. They didn't need microphones. And you, can you imagine hearing the word of the Lord bellowed out, and then the people chanting back the blessings of the Lord? It was an awesome way to conclude an incredible victory. The ambush of Ai. Now that's chapter 8 in, in a quick nutshell. And if this were a military class, we'd spend our time analyzing that. If we were at Camp Dodge... We'd break this apart and understand how an ambush works, but we're not at Camp Dodge, are we? This is not a military class. It's a church, and we're at First Family. And so I want to paint a picture for you of why verses 3 through 35 are possible. I'll go against my grain here, and I'm going to teach just one or two verses today. I'm going to kind of hunker down in a military term. And I'm going to show you what makes Joshua 8, 3 through 35, even possible. It's found in Joshua 8, 1 and 2. Are you there? Put your finger on it, would you? Joshua 8, chapters, excuse me, Joshua chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Here's what paints the picture and the backdrop for the whole chapter. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid. And do not be discouraged. Take the whole army with you. And that's a reference back to their man-made ideas of taking how many? Oh, about two or 3,000. Remember chapter 7? So God was clear this time. Hey, Joshua, I know you had your own ideas. Let me make it clear this time, Joshua. Take the whole army. You go up and you attack Ai. 
You know why I like that verse? And you know why that verse paints the backdrop for chapter 8? Because there's no way I'll ever be convinced Joshua felt ready for battle after the defeat he went through in chapter 7. In fact, the linguistics of chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, just the Hebrew words alone, and what they mean indicate Joshua was battling feelings of inferiority. He was thinking twice about going through with with this whole promised land idea. Now, the text doesn't specifically say he was afraid. But the reason God came to him in this chapter, as in chapter 1, and said, Joshua, don't be afraid. It's because he was on the verge of giving in outwardly to inward feelings. In other words, he was about to live by his emotions. In what way, Todd? In this way. You know, guys, that last defeat was awful. We lost men. A family lost their life in the, as, as a result of their sin. We violated God, God's commands. I'm not sure if I'm ready to go back there. The last time I went to Ai, we got beat down. And Joshua began to experience some fear and discouragement. And at that moment, God came to Joshua and said, Listen, do not be afraid. Don't listen to your feelings. I mean, the Bible's awesome for 2007, isn't it? You can say amen right there. <laughs> I mean, are we not that way? We listen to our feelings brought about from past defeats. We look in our life in the past and we think, yeah, and the last time this happened, man, the last time that happened, and we rehearse all the failures of our past and we start thinking, I can't ever make progress. I'll never move forward. There's no way I'll ever get over that. There's no way I'll ever attack that or, or be victorious. I know what the pastor says, my lighthouse says, I know what God says all to be, but there's just no way it can happen. I got too beat down last time. And our past produces feelings that affect our future. When I read Joshua 1, 8 and 2, I realize that Joshua understood something. My past failures don't have to be a template for future fights. Amen? They don't have to be the standard operating procedure for how you carry on battle. Instead, God said, Joshua, get up, attack AI. You can win. I can give the battle to you. But you've got to get off your feelings. You've got to get up and you've got to do it my way. I'm just thankful, and I think all the Israelites were, that verses 3 through 35 came after Joshua obeyed God and not feelings brought about by his past. Amen? Your past failures do not have to be a template for your future fights. How many you know what a template is? All of you should. It's a pretty common word. In other words, it's like a, it's like a standard or a guide. In other words, it kind of tells you what you can and can't do. And have you ever felt like your past is that way to you? You look back at previous issues, previous situations, and you think, you know what, I'm, I'll just never really be able to deal with that. You're letting your past dictate how you approach the future. There's a better way than that, church. Now, we all deal with this. We all have to confront our tendency as humans to let our past affect us because the past does want to chain itself to your feet and drag you to the bottom. That's what our past wants to do, especially when it's filled with failure and mistakes. But forgiveness loosens the chains of the past 
When it wants to sink you, forgiveness allows you to move beyond your past. That's what I'm telling you this morning. Your past failures don't have to be a template for your future fights. They weren't for Joshua, and they don't have to be for you. Let me me put it to you even more simple, in an even clearer way. My past doesn't have to affect my future. In fact, will you say this with me? Here we go, ready? My past doesn't have to affect my future. It doesn't. Now, even while I say that, I suspect there are people who are listening to me saying, Todd, you don't know my past. Like maybe a dad who is thinking about the last time he talked to his daughter about an issue. And it didn't go well at all. He yelled and didn't listen. She clammed up. And the real issue was never resolved. And for years now, they've never talked about it. After all, I'm the head of this house and that's the law. Yeah, he's definitely in charge and no one likes to talk to him. He's a man who feels desperately lonely in his castle. You say to him, hey, why don't you go make things right? Why don't you sit down and talk to your daughter? I, I can't do that. Last time it was impossible. It just blew up. So he's thinking that his future is affected by his past, but I'm here to tell you, it doesn't have to be that way. Or maybe I'm talking to people who, couples, who said a few months ago, yes, honey, we're going to start tithing, we're going to start giving. And so you did. After all the bills were paid, you said, let's start giving. And you had a minus $1.38 to work with. And then you hear about how God wants the first fruits of our lives. The best. He wants us to give to Him from before we have leftovers. Are you with me? You're thinking, well, I can't try that because last time I did it my way, I had negative left. How could that work? I don't know, but you see what I'm saying? You're afraid to go back and test the Lord, as Malachi said, because of your past. It won't work. Wait, wait, wait. There's a new day just ahead. There's a better day. There are couples here who've really never known intimacy. You've known sex, but you've never known intimacy all because of past issues that you've never dealt with. Some of them are a result of your sins and some are a result of sins done to you. But either way, you let you let this past affect your future. And so you feel distant from your husband or your wife. And you're content with that because you just don't want to deal with this. As we say sometimes, I'm not going there. There are men and women in this room who started out a few months ago to read their Bible on a regular basis. And they were going to just, they made a commitment perhaps in a service like this or in their lighthouse or maybe in an accountability group. And I'm going to spend time with God every day. And you left that get together or service so charged up. And six days later, you couldn't even find your Bible. Well, where'd that book go? So you got discouraged. You didn't know where to read. You didn't know how to read it or where to start. You didn't tell anybody about your decision. Next thing you know, you're like, here I am, back to the same old thing again. So when I talk about reading the Word every day, and spending time with God, you're like, yeah, I tried that, Todd, it didn't work. See, in, in, in any of those situations, often we let our past failures dictate how we fight, so to speak, in the future. But Joshua 8 shows me it doesn't have to be that way. Victory is possible even at your AIs. Let me say that again. Victory is possible 
even at your AIs. You say, what is an AI? An AI is a place of previous defeat. It's where you once, quote-unquote, lost it. It's where things didn't go well. And so now, here in 2007, we're like, hey, I'm not going there. But I've got great news for you, church. God says, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go up and attack AI. And that place of previous defeat in your life does not have to keep you down. Amen? Now, you may be thinking, Todd, that sounds almost health and wealth theology-ish. That sounds almost like some TV preachers I hear. No, we've let perhaps their version skew what is biblically correct theology. I mean, this chapter screams to me. What was once a former failure, what was once a place of defeat, doesn't have to be that in your life forever. God can conquer your AIs. question is, are you willing to go there with God? Are you willing to go there with God? As I think about places like this in our life, I'm reminded of the movie Facing Your Giants. I think some of my kids and I, we saw that together. and I'm not sure where, but we watched that movie. And a lot of you have seen it. I like the end of that movie. When the coach is talking to the players, and they're going to get the, the video clip ready to go, so just kind of watch this up here. What happens is this. That team, all they had known was losing for most of their school's history. And this year was like a different year. They were winning, and they were surprised by that. And, and they weren't sure what to do. They kept winning. They get in the state championship, and so in their face with these, these giants, this team that's always been good. Here's a team that all they've ever known is losing. We shouldn't be here. We don't deserve to be here. All these things come up to them in an athletic form. Here's what their coach says to them about how to take ground that maybe formerly all we, all we knew was defeat. Here's what their coach says to them. Listen to them very carefully. About five minutes we head out for the warm-up. I'll say two things. Number one, I love you and I'm proud of you. I won't trade the season for anything in the world. Secondly, you're about to play the biggest team you've ever faced. They're strong, fast, and undefeated. So far. But I want you to remember where God has brought us. I want you to remember how hard you've worked. We weren't supposed to have a winning season, but we do. We weren't supposed to advance to the playoffs, but we did. We're not supposed to be here, but we are. So if there's anything in you that says this is a losing effort, throw it out. Because as I stand here, I believe that as long as we honor God, nothing is impossible. Nothing. Leave everything out on the field. Give your best to God tonight. And whether we leave the field the victors or not, we will give God the glory. Now, who will go fight the Giants with me? And we can watch a movie and feel impassioned for it and think, yeah, nothing's impossible, and turn right around and look at our reaction and think, oh, but that's impossible. Let me say this to you in a non-athletic way. Listen very carefully. With God, nothing is impossible. Did you hear that, church? It's an actual quotation from the book of Luke and other parts of the gospel. 
when all the disciples were like, oh man, this is impossible. This can't happen. We can't see victory here. Jesus Christ said, hey, with man, you're right. You'll never have a chance. But with God, all things are possible. I'm here to tell you this morning, that AI that's dogging your feet, that place of defeat that's keeping you down, God can give you victory. But it's with God, not you. See, sometimes we like that verse because we think, oh, it's a good kind of man-made, humanistic, I believe I can fly kind of verse, you know. And no, that's half the problem. It's not about us. It's all about God. And God gives the victory that, that all of us are looking for. So, what's your AI? And are you ready to go back and say, you know what, this defeat's going to be a victory. I'm going to let God turn this defeat into a victory. If you've labeled your AI in your mind right now, and I hope you have, I hope you've let the Spirit just kind of pinpoint your AI. And your heart is turned to saying, God, man, I want to move past that. Come to share with you two things from these first two verses that show us how to do it. Here's the first one. Step towards God's way, which is a life of faith. Now, we're going to leave this up here for a while. I want you to write it down and think about it. It's the very first step you've got to take. If you really want to move beyond your past, if you want your defeats to be turned into victory, you've got to first of all step towards God's way. And God's way is always rooted in faith. Listen, church. Do you hear me? God's way is always rooted in faith. Always. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says this, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So when we operate in the human realm, only in, with what we can do and what we can see, we actually remove God from the picture. When we say, well, I only have $10. What can I do with that? I don't know. Why don't you give it to God and see what He could do with it? Are you with me? Well, Todd, I don't know how to raise my kids this way. That's what I learned in some human class. Why don't you raise your kids based on the Bible and see what God would do with it? But I don't understand how that works. You're right. It's called faith. So whether it's raising our kids, loving our wife or husband, relating well to people around us, giving of our money, it could be any area. A lot of times we run to our own understanding and think, hey, this is what I know, but when we choose God's way and we say, I will step towards God, I'll step away from what I've known because obviously that didn't work. I've got an AI now, right? Are you with me? Away from that, towards God, towards faith. I will trust the Lord. God brings victory where there was once defeat. Now let me explain this in, a, in an illustrative way. Listen very carefully. The Apostle Paul explained in the book of 2 Corinthians that God's grace was always sufficient. Are you with me? He said this in 2 Corinthians 12. And he said it in terms of this thorn in the flesh he had. In fact, the quotes from Scripture go like this. Paul said, I went to the Lord three times. I asked the Lord three times to remove this thorn in the flesh. And then he makes this statement. A messenger of Satan. Now check that out, church. Paul's thorn in the flesh, I believe, had some component of spiritual warfare to it. It was called a messenger of Satan. And he asked God three times, Hey God, take this away from me. And God's response was what? My grace is sufficient. Now, I don't quite get all that theologically. I want to be frank with you here. 
I've got a lot of schooling. I do a lot of study and a lot of research. But I'm not sure how a messenger of Satan thorning Paul, I'm not sure why God did remove it. I know theologically it was to prevent pride in Paul's life. I know that scripturally. But it just seems to me from a human finite point of view, like, hey, God, you know, if it's a messenger of Satan and you're a God, maybe you could win this battle in Paul's life. Maybe something could happen. But for whatever reason, God said, listen, I will win this in your life by giving you enough grace to endure it. And so every day when Paul woke up, here's what I think he had to do. I think when he woke up, he was reminded of this thorn in his flesh. I don't know what it was, and you don't either. But whatever it was, it was some type of spiritually... um, um, uh, It's something that attacked him. It was a warfare kind of thing. It kept him humble. And every day, I suspect, he woke up thinking, Oh, man, not this again. And then suddenly, I think God said, Hey, Paul, I've got enough grace for today. Are you with me? Hey, Paul, I've got all the grace you need for today. Now, why I like that so much is because it resonates with what Jeremiah said. Jeremiah 3, 22 and 23. Here the prophet is weeping and wailing over Israel. And he says in these verses, he says that to the person who cries out to God and who's, who's uh, discouraged and who has sinned, he says, you know what? The Lord will not treat us like our sins deserve. His compassion never failed. And then he makes this statement. His mercies are new. Say it with me. Every morning. You know what Jeremiah does in that passage? The same thing Paul did in St. Corinthians. He said, listen, when you get up, it may seem like, oh my goodness, another day of whatever you're dealing with. But guess what? When you got up, so did God's mercies. They're brand new. And just like he said to Paul, he said to Jeremiah, hey, I've got just the right amount of grace and just the right amount of mercy for when? Today. And our problems are, we remove faith from our daily struggle and battle by trying to think ahead three or four weeks. God, can you solve that problem next month? God's like, I will next month. Can we just get through today? Because I've got just the right amount of grace for you today. We're like, no, God, I want to live in November and December. God's like, yeah, you're just like the disciples. Always worried about things that didn't matter. And I'm trying to say, listen, I got took care of the birds. I took care of the grass. I can take care of you today. Don't you sometimes feel like God just is always keeping you in the present? But that's good because that's where His grace and mercy is. It's for today. And if you will, and I will, if we will trust God for today, we'll find that we're moving away from our ass. We're living a life of faith. And what seemed to dog us yesterday, if we'll let that be yesterday and live in today, the grace and mercy for today, we'll find that in a week that would have been seven days ago. And in two weeks, that would have been 14 days. And suddenly, you start forgetting what happened 21 days ago. Because you're just in today, right? And suddenly, it's 365 days ago. And church, can I just shout hallelujah? That all those things that every day came to your mind and kept you down will suddenly be like, you know what? I distinctly remember forgetting about what happened all those days ago. Amen, church? Because God's got just the grace and mercy you need for today. Take a step towards God's way. A life of faith. Where maybe you don't have it all figured out. Where maybe it doesn't all line up together. But all you know is that today, I will obey God.
I will seek to live victoriously today. I'll honor my relationships today. I'll give of myself today. I'll speak kindly today. I'll pray today. I'll read my Bible today. And you put enough of those todays together, and guess what? All your yesterdays are washed away and long gone by the power of Jesus Christ. You've got to take a step towards God's way. You have to do something else. You've got to take a step towards God's way, the life of faith, and you've got to take a step away from a life of fear. And notice the two key words here. Fear and faith. Don't those two words really uh, summarize the human experience? In our humanity, we love to live in fear. We love to to be perhaps held back. And, and you think, well, Todd, I don't like fear. No, no one likes it, but it is the natural response of the human condition. It's what we naturally do. You don't believe me? What the first man and woman do when they sinned against God lost that first battle? They ran and hid. Fear is the first and foremost natural reaction when we're in an AI situation. We want to run. We want to hide because fear overtakes us. That is what naturally we do but supernaturally through the spirit now that we're born again we can actually face our fears and in faith move away from them you say Todd how, how do you know that 2 Timothy 1.7 jot that reference now would you the Bible says this God has not given us a spirit of fear this is God himself speaking through Paul to Timothy God's not given us a spirit of fear Oh, that's what you have naturally. But God's Spirit's not one of fear. What is His Spirit of? It's of power, love, and of a sound mind. Or of soberness is the word there. When the Spirit of God comes in you, the moment you believe, guess what? You have the supernatural capacity to look at your AIs, to look at the monsters, the giants, and say, you know what? The human part of me says, oh my, I'm scared. But the, but the Holy Spirit in me from God, now that I believe, says, you know what? I am not afraid. Through Jesus Christ, I can have victory. And He then turns our Ayahs into places of victory. Because we move away from fear towards faith. It takes embracing both of those to really see your Ayahs turned into places of victory. It takes knowing that perhaps I have been afraid, but I, I refuse to be afraid any longer. And so you go to that person and you initiate that conversation. As hard as it may seem and as scared as you may be naturally, you live in the power of the Spirit and you attack your AIs. Are you with me, church? I mean, that's what we do. That's how God turns defeats into victory. It's all through Him. Faith in Him and not in ourselves and not living by fear. I want to remind you of something. When you really live by 2 Timothy 1.7, that God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. When you really live by that, I want to tell you something. God will give you courage, but it's not courage without opportunities. Are you with me? And the last time I checked, I only needed courage when I felt what? Afraid. So, if you pray for courage, if you say, God, I will live based on 2 Timothy 1.7, 
Don't expect an easy road. Expect several times this week when you may be overcome with fear and God said, hey, you were wanting to live in courage. Well, here's a time to show some. Oh, thanks God. I remember now. It's like praying for patience. God doesn't give you patience without what? Giving you opportunities to show it. And last time I checked, that's called tough times, right? So guys, this week, in the next seven days, I think a lot of us will have opportunities to look at fear that was brought about by our AIs and say, you know what I learned this week? That I don't have to be afraid. That God's Spirit is more than capable. And because it's God's Spirit, nothing's impossible. So you know what? I will live in the power of the Spirit. And I'll let the Lord Jesus Christ take an AI, a place of defeat in my life, and turn that into a place of victory. And when that's a place of victory, when I'm on the other side, maybe I'll pull all the church together. We'll put them on both sides of the mountains. And we'll shout how great our God is and the blessings and the cursings. And we'll chant back and forth. Wouldn't that be awesome? Sounds like Victory Sunday coming up, doesn't it? We're going to bring our victory markers down here. I hope you're journaling yours. I hope you're chronicling yours. I brought mine with me today. I have three of them right here. I'm not going to read them to you. I'm not that crazy. But three victory markers I brought here, and I'm just trying to dig for them here somewhere in my notes. Um, and, and you know, I, I looked through them this week because they represent... Oh, here they are in my Bible. Imagine that. I brought these uh, victory markers because I've been using them. You may can get yours at your lighthouse, or maybe you, or you can get them on, they're on our website. You can download a copy of them. Maybe you have them from your workbook. But I looked through these, at what these represent in my life. Places that were AIs, where years ago I would have operated based on a certain mindset. A certain faulty human mindset. But as I understand more of who God is and how He operates and His Spirit's power in my life, I say, Lord, I'm going to live based on what You can do. That's the template for the victorious life. Not the way I thought or what I thought the old habit was. No. God, You can give victory. And I want to tell you something. Joshua 8 is really all about the victory markers. It's about saying no and goodbye to old ways and pursuing a new order of business, a new template where victory is possible through Jesus Christ and His Spirit that lives in you. If you're a believer, of course. And perhaps that's the first area of fear that someone here needs to address this morning. Perhaps you've been living in fear of what your family would say if you became a Christian. Perhaps you've been living in fear of what might be said at the office if you embrace the gospel. Perhaps you live in fear of what this means for those around you, that if you really embrace an exclusive, only way gospel, that means that all the folks that I think are really nice and that give to the different organizations and they help me on volunteer day at the office, that means that if they don't believe they're going to hell? Yes. And so fear has kept you from embracing the gospel as the only way, but... I would encourage you and exhort you as your pastor to leave the life of fear behind and embrace a life of faith. You're, you're perhaps teetering on, I want to believe, but I'm not sure. I say, man, put that foot in the water and jump in. Believe in Jesus Christ as the only way to heaven. Embrace His gospel as the only way to be made right with God. When you do that, you'll leave fear behind. And then all the other AIs in your life, that have kept you down and dogged you, the things that Satan uses to, to, to keep you kind of in the, in the past, the Spirit of God will be in you then to attack your AIs. 
It's very important that you understand the very first step. Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Amen? And this auditorium is full of people and so is 830 service who somewhere in a service like this in their heart prayed a prayer like this. They said, Dear God, I believe I'm lost. And I've learned from the Word of God now that I could never get to heaven without Jesus Christ. And so today, God, I embrace the Gospel and Jesus Christ as the only way. I believe that Jesus Christ came to earth, was born of a virgin, died on the cross, was raised again by the Father, and by that and only that am I forgiven. I believe. In a prayer like that, God responds to that and saves you. He creates in you a heart after His. He takes you and makes you one of His children, John 1.12 says. When that happens, He gives you His Spirit. And I'm giving you a lot of theology here in about 30 seconds. He gives you His Spirit. And suddenly you find the power to walk in a new way, a different way. Not like the old AI way, but like the new way, the promised land way. But only when you have His Spirit. It, let me ask you a question to answer just privately. When I just prayed that prayer, that sample model prayer, did, did you pray that with me? Just don't raise your hand. I'm just asking. Did your heart cry out to God to be saved? If it did, don't leave today without talking to me or let me know in the car. Just say, Todd, I prayed today to receive Christ and I want to be able to, I want God to, to turn my AIs into places of victory. It happens more than you realize in our lighthouses, in our services, where people are turned to the gospel and they believe in Jesus Christ. If that's your prayer today, I ask you not to leave till we talk. Amen. Because your eternal destiny is way too important to take a chance on and be afraid about. Trust it to the Lord. Amen. The Bible says that when you believe, He will place you in His hand and nothing can pluck you out of it. That's some big time security, isn't it? Nothing's going to take you out of God's hand. He's God after all. Who can mess with Him, right? God's got you secure and safe. That's a whole lot better than what I hear among people in the general population. Well, I hope I get there. I hope I've been good enough. I think I'll make it. Wow, I would trade the fear of hoping and thinking and wondering any day for the security of knowing His name is Jesus Christ. If you've not believed yet, and today your heart is cracked to believe, stay around today, would you? And let's chat. Let me know on a card, and I'll call you this week, one of our elders, will, one of our staff. It'd be the greatest news of all if you believe in Jesus Christ today as your only Savior. For those who have believed, will you take these two steps with me? And can we continue to let God take our AIs, those places of defeat, the things that we think of as shame, and may God turn those into places of victory? I ask you again, believing friend, what is your AI? I know you know it, because I know what mine is. <laughs> Are you with me? I know where I failed, where I think, man, can, can, can I go there again? With God's Spirit, in His power, all things are possible. Will you challenge your AIs? Will you hear the Word of the Lord to not be afraid, not be discouraged, go up and attack your AI? To do that, something's going to happen. And I want to wrap up this time with a very uh, transparent point of application with you. 
if you t- adopt the attitude laid out in Joshua 8, 1 and 2, and you experience your own ambush of some AIs, shall we say, and you see Joshua 8, 3 to 35 lived out in your life, that will happen only, watch this now, that will happen only as change comes to your life. Listen very carefully, church. Because the victory many of you are wanting, listen very carefully, may very well be in the change you're resisting. Do you hear that? I'm being very kind and bold here, but I want to be very clear with you. The victory many of you are wanting may very well be in the change you're resisting. That's how I've always done it. Well, look at the result we've been always getting. And your kids are distant from you. They don't like being around you. They're hardly a teenager. And you're wondering if there's a better way to raise children. Change needs to happen in many of our lives and homes if we're going to see victory. Are you with me? I'll just pick out a few issues. It could be in finances, relationships, how we speak. I always kid around. Yeah, you always kid around and you always alienate your friends. I got a suggestion. Change the way you talk. Oh, I can't do that. Right, you can't. But God can. His Spirit can. Because with Him, all things are possible. So I'm just asking you, are you really open to the change God brings? Or do you really still want to live with an AI in your past? You see, guys, the victory we're wanting is probably in the change we're resisting. And I've sensed this from the Spirit of God for a number of days to be able to say this to all of us. It's true in my life. When God brings us to points of change, a life of faith away from fear, it can seem daunting. It can seem like, man, am I really ready for that? But I remind you, the very victory you're so craving. Young mom at home, who homeschools, who feels like, man, I'm overwhelmed and the way I've been doing things, I don't know if it's working. Hello, Dad, and all the hours of the office or couples who are relating and trying to get along. If you're finding it's just a, a consistent life of defeat, but you have no desire to hear of a different way, i got to be honest with you, I don't know how quickly victory is going to come your way because often the victory we're wanting is in the change we're resisting. Some of the best things my wife has ever told me, God has used her to change some things, the way I do some things. When I changed them through the power of the Spirit, guess what? Victory began to be accessible. Our marriage got thousand times better. Our communication increased. I'm just giving you one example. When we are open to saying, hey, honey, you know what? I think a better way to do that, that would accomplish God's purposes and be more on the Bible, would be this. I can say all day long, but that's not the way I am. Or I don't like that. Or I've never done it that way. But the victory I'm wanting is in the change I'm resisting. Are you with me? And I just want to lay that out before you as a point of application. That when you leave here, I mean, you can say, man, good sermon. Nice job. But if you walk out these doors and nothing changes, have you really cut the AI from your life? Have you really loosened the chains of the past to look forward if nothing really changes? Let me share with you a quote that I read this week from an old preacher of 1849. I think God used this in my own life to prompt some of those very thoughts. He said this, Life like war is a series of mistakes. 
And he is not the best Christian nor the best general who makes the fewest false steps. See, that's a life of fear, by the way. Oh, which one am I going to... Oh, I'll make sure I don't do anything. And, and we just try to make sure we don't do anything wrong. We're just timid about everything. And we think, oh, I only made three mistakes. That's great. That life of timidity, as he says here, is really just poor mediocrity. But he is the best who wins the most splendid victories by the retrieval of mistakes. Let me put that in our vernacular. He's willing to deal with his past. Amen. Hallelujah. Forget mistakes. Let God organize victories out of mistakes. I love those words. Because they speak to me about what all of us have to do. We have to look and say, where's the AI in my life that I've been afraid to deal with? You know what? With the Spirit of God in me, the power of God upon me, I will not live in fear. I will live in faith. And then we let God take an AI and turn it into a victory. And by the way, He does that. He takes mourning and turns it into what? Dancing. He takes ashes and makes them into something what? Beautiful. That's the way of our God. He did it at AI. He did it with Paul. He's done it throughout the biblical record. And He's doing it today. And He can do it in your life. As you run towards faith, trusting Him, accepting the change He wants to bring, and away from fear. I think about this service. This is where most of our guests uh, attend. Perhaps you're thinking, Todd, I've been attending several weeks. I've been checking out First Family. And you seem like you push us towards a small group a lot, a lighthouse. And you really encourage us to participate and and, and, and you talk a lot about serving other people, but I, I'm just not sure I'm, I'm really ready. Well, that may be true. You may not be ready. I don't know. I would say the best way to, to get ready is to actually step out and, and act on what we know here God has called us to do. Celebrate, grow, serve. Amen. And there's a host of lighthouses that are actually probably the very answer to the accountability you're looking for. Do you know that? Can I say that to you humbly? 20-something lighthouses who meet together every week for the purpose of helping us grow deeper in our faith. The very thing you're resisting is probably the very thing you're needing. We have teams that serve in an awesome way at First Family. We've got a team headed to Africa next summer. We've got to kind of get on that pretty quick. Some of you are like, I couldn't go on a mission trip. I, we had some folks come back from Australia last week. We've had folks go to um, uh, in Afghanistan, phase right now. I could never do that. Why not? What if the victory you're looking for is in the change you're resisting? I don't have that kind of money. You sure? What if, well, God does. But everything about the way we've been doing things, sometimes we need to analyze and say, wait, if God's way is the best way, let's go that way. And in that, there is change. But in that change, there is victory. And it could be on a corporate level. It could be on a personal level. My goal today is to get you to say, you know what? I'm not going to let an AI beat me down any longer. God, turn my AIs into places of victory.